From the EPR Creation Studio, this is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm Jason Staples. We're going to be doing the Clemson preview for this episode. Spend a little extra time on this one. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. And while you're at it, go over to showthesafeties.com, sign the petition for better viewing angles, buy my book over at Amazon if you prefer giving Jeff Bezos more money, or somewhere else if you don't. And also don't forget about the Unconquered Shop, which has all sorts of stickers and various things to express your Florida State fandom. So as we look at this Clemson game, we begin this preview. The first thing to, to note is if you had told me, if you'd told anybody at the beginning of the season that, that Florida State Clemson coming into the game would be a single digit spread, a lot of people would have been surprised. And if you'd have told people that after Florida State lost to Jacksonville State, well, people have thought you were nuts. But here we are. Last I checked, the spread was at uh, Clemson minus 9.5. Now, granted, I think more of the sharp money has been coming in on Clemson, from what I can tell. But still, I mean, it, this is this is a, a better shot at, in this game than anybody thought Florida State would have coming into the year. There's been a lot of things that have played out in ways that have that give you hope if you're if you're coming from the Florida State side. First and foremost, that Clemson has 17, according to Dabo Sweeney, about 17 scholarship players out. Now, a couple of those guys may, may or may not actually play in this game, but there's been some really key guys. Most notably, their best defensive player, defensive tackle Brian Brzee, who is, you know, former number one overall player in the in the uh, in, in in his recruiting class. And then you add to that defensive end, co-starter at defensive end, Justin Foster, out for the year. Lynn J. Dixon went to the portal. He was the starting running back at the beginning of the year. His replacement, Kobe Pace, is going to be out for this game with COVID. Last week against Pittsburgh, their best offensive lineman, super senior Matt Bockhorst, who was playing center and had moved over to left guard, but he was, he was really the leader up front. He's also out for the year. Frank Ladson, the, the wide receiver that everybody from the Florida State side who follows recruiting remembers as a as a top top receiver prospect coming out of uh, the state of Florida. He's out. They just lost uh, tight end Braden Galloway, who was a co-starter at tight end uh, with a separated shoulder. He's out for the year. And then even some of the guys that are on the field right now have have gotten pretty banged up. Tyler Davis, their their second best defensive tackle, junior, he he just got back, but he's banged up and he's had some problems with his uh he's had a biceps injury. Andrew Booth, one of their top corners, he's he's back. He's going to play, but he's still recovering from a hamstring injury. And if you guys have know, know anything about hamstring injuries, if if you've ever had a hamstring injury like I have, you know that those things kind of nag at you for a long time, even when you're back, and especially as you get to top speed. So, wow. And even with that, they're they're expecting to get wide receivers Joseph Joseph Nada, their their best uh, uh, deep threat back from COVID, uh, from the COVID protocol. And EJ Williams, who's had a knee injury, they're expecting to get those guys back, but they've been largely ineffective. And again, they're coming off of not being on the field for, for a reason. So there's, there's a lot of talent that's going to be on the sideline for Clemson this week. And, you know, Florida State knows what that's like. That's, that's how Florida State has basically played the past few seasons is just dealing with that kind of rash of injuries, and it's really hard to get over. 
It really impacts your program. And it has massively impacted Clemson. But even before that, Clemson was not this year what a lot of people thought they would be, particularly in the offensive side. I mean, this is a team that has yet to score more than 19 points against FBS competition in regulation. I mean, with what Clemson has been able to do offensively the last few years and how easy they made that made things look, that's that's stunning. And you look at the numbers, and, and once you get past the scoring numbers, and they don't get better. 112th in the country in points per drive. That's uh, not getting it done. But, hey, it can get worse. 4.62 yards per play versus FBS competition is good for 115th nationally. Wow. By, just for, by way of comparison, Florida State averaging two full yards more per play on the year against FBS competition than what Clemson's offense has, has averaged. That's 19th, 6.65 yards per play, 19th in the country. Now, granted, they did play against Georgia, who is by far the nation's best defense. So you kind of give them a little bit of a break there. But you start looking down the list and you go, yeah, they've not been great against any of their opponents. 3.0 yards per play against Georgia. You can kind of excuse that. But 4.3 yards per play against Georgia Tech. 4.37 against NC State. They exploded for 6.44 yards per play against Boston College, still below Florida State's FBS average. Then 4.3 yards per play at Syracuse. Florida State averaged 5.48 yards per play against Syracuse. Now, granted, one was on the road, one was at home. But again, that's, that's over a yard more per play against Syracuse when you compare those two teams. And again, transit property is tricky, but... Still worth noting. At Pitt, 5.08 yards per play. So that's their second best of the of the year. But still, I mean, they've just not been able to get this offense on track all season. And when you watch them, you, you see a host of issues. It's not just one thing. I think a lot of it is just the pieces not fitting together. I think there's been some recruiting misses and there are just some things that it appears to me that they're they're trying to fit some square pegs in round holes and do what they what they do i mean look you have your system i mean you can't run another offense but there are things that they just they they've done routinely in recent years that they just can't do with consistency this year and some of that has to do with just personnel fit so they and this happens to a lot of teams i mean this historically you can look at this when programs begin to recruit outside their footprint and they begin to be able to land elite guys. This happened to Florida under Urban Meyer. This happened to Florida State toward the end uh, under Jimbo Fisher. There are times where you can start to land a lot of elite guys that don't exactly fit quite as well with what you do as some of the guys that you landed before. And I think there's been some of that for Clemson here. And and there are a couple most the most notable ones are you look at DJ Uyunglele and he's a guy that huge arm, lots of potential as a thrower, but he doesn't fit their offense quite as well as some of the guys that they've had before. Now, granted, you had essentially two generational talents in a row that made things look really easy, but if you look at what Clemson's done in recent years. When they were at their best offensively, 
their trump card over and over again was the quarterback run game going back to really to Taj Boyd that anytime they needed needed a, a, a play in a close game, they'd go quarterback power over and over again. You just knew that was going to be their identity. And beyond that, you'd see zone read and other things using their quarterback's legs. And once they got, once they got to Deshaun Watson, using the quarterback's legs on the edge in particular became a, a total trump card for them. You could commit to everything else. And then that was in big games. They just go to that and you'd have trouble with it. Because well, they had they had horses and they had those guys that could 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 do it, and you had especially the ability of quarterbacks that could throw downfield with consistency and with accuracy and with great timing. That then they would bring that in, and that trump card made it impossible. And you look at Deshaun Watson, you look at the Elf; those guys could run, run. I'm talking about you know four five type guys. I mean, people forget how fast Trevor Lawrence is, I mean, he's a legit four five. Yeah, he's 6'6", but he runs 4'5". I mean, he he really covered over some things with his ability to move at times last year in particular, but the year before even. They weren't, I mean, they they covered over a lot. And this is this is another thing here, is that Clemson's offensive line has been sneaky average to bad the last couple of years, but they were covered over by elite, elite quarterback play from the Elf and also by ETN. ETN did so much to cover over what they were, what they, some of those limitations in the, in the running game, in, in run blocking by being an elite running back. And, you know, that changed things. And you look at what the, what the yards per carry were when ETN played and versus the yards per carry when any other back played in recent years. And what they're getting now is basically the results of not having that elite back to cover over for not being all that great up front. And it just shows you how thin the margins are in college football. I mean, Clemson goes in basically two years from being an absolute, absolute juggernaut who looked like they were going to be the, at the top of the ACC indefinitely to struggling this year. I mean, if they lose this game to Florida state, they've they got the same record as Florida state. And as bad as Florida State was early in the year, I mean, that's, that's shocking. So, I mean, you look at this, Clemson being a, potentially a 500 team after this, this week, that again shows how tight those margins are. You can have really, really good players across your, your roster, but you lose a couple of the ones that are the real difference makers. You lose the Elf and ETN to, to the NFL draft, and then you lose uh, Brzee, a defensive tackle to injury, and a couple other guys. And all of a sudden, you're fighting for your life. The margins are really thin. But you look at just the quarterback position, that has really changed. And you can see some of those differences. I also, just for the record, I, I'm, I've never been really impressed by Clemson's development of their quarterbacks. They basically just recruited such outstanding players out of high school and just tossed the ball out to them. And I don't. I've not seen development from their quarterbacks. I actually don't think that uh, the elf got any better. I thought he was, he might've been better as a freshman than he was as a, as a, as a junior in terms of a, a number of mechanical things. And, and some of those things, I, I just don't think that mechanically Clemson does their quarterbacks any favors. And that's, you know, that's more of a quarterback coaching thing, but you know, I don't think they do a ton, a ton of favors for their guys. Like I said, in, in that respect, and, Uyunglele is not quite as plug and play in that respect. I mean, it 
you kind of couldn't screw up the the two guys that, that they just had, you know, go in the first round, Deshaun Watson and, and the Elf. You can't screw those guys up. Uyunglele was a little bit more, you know, he, he was a little bit more raw. And I think we're seeing some of that where some of these things, he, he's not quite, He's not refined, and they, they haven't, like I said, they haven't really helped him in that regard. So just on the quarterback side, I don't think they've got as good a fit at quarterback, and I don't think, uh, in terms of what he brings to the table, I mean, it didn't make sense for me that he was the guy that they were going to move on with in terms of the next quarterback in their system. I just didn't think he was a match for them stylistically. Just a huge arm, can throw a ball through the wall, but with what they asked their quarterbacks to do, he didn't seem to be as good of a fit. But that's not the only place where pieces haven't been fitting together for Clemson. I mean, they don't have a slot receiver. I mean, you think about the best Clemson teams in recent years. They've all had that slot receiver, that underneath guy who just gave defenses fits. And the most obvious of those, the most frustrating to play against was Hunter Renfro, of course. But you can go back. I mean, they had Adam Humphreys before uh, before that. They they had, in the last couple of years, Amari Rogers was, was Clemson's top wide receiver from that slot spot. And the thing that they were able to do with those guys is those guys brought a different kind of dynamism to, the, to those offenses and a guy that would consistently catch the ball and a guy that could run a lot of option routes and use quickness and use a different skill set than what they had on the outside. They've always had sort of those bigger, faster guys on the outside. What they've got right now on their roster is a bunch of outside wide receivers, none of whom has really developed yet into the kind of Mike Williams, uh, T Higgins type elite number one on the outside, especially, I mean, Justin Ross was that before injury, but he's not quite what he was before. He's not quite gotten all the way back. But they don't have that guy quite yet. But the bigger gap to me is in that slot spot. And they've moved Justin Ross to that slot receiver role for a lot of things. And I just don't think he fits what they want him to do, what they want their slot to do. I mean, you look at the skill matchups, the skill sets, differences, the difference between, say, Adam Humphreys or uh, Hunter Renfro and Justin Ross, that they're completely different kinds of players. And I think they're missing that kind of Amari Cooper, Hunter Renfro type player in their, uh, in, in, in their offense. And they, they're badly missing. it. And then you add to that, that they're, you know, they, they're okay at tight end, but they don't have a huge mismatch there. So they just don't have some of the pieces that they've had. And then you combine that with not having that elite ETN style running back plus a lot of drops and routine misses in terms of the quarterback position and execution, and you get what you have. That said, there have been a lot of plays where they've been real close, where it's, you know, and the quarterback finally puts it on the money and the, and the ball's dropped, and it's a sure touchdown, and they're just, they've left a lot of points on the field all year with just sure touchdowns being dropped or overthrown or whatever. When the quarterback hits him, it's dropped. When when the receiver's there and in position, the quarterback overthrows him. You've got a variety of these things that happen. And, you know, of course, that means that they're close and they could put it all together. Again, the margins are really thin. And if they put it all together, all of a sudden they go from scoring 17 to 41 with a quickness. And you hope, if you're Florida State, that that doesn't happen this week. But 
that's where they're at. Now, I do, I, I kind of expect to see Tyson uh, Fomachan, the backup here, in this game. If I'm Florida State, I'm preparing for him as well as for Uyunglele because of his more dynamic ability with his legs. He's a better runner. Now, again, he's coming off of injury. I mean, it wasn't even clear he was going to be cleared to play this early. So, I mean, he's not fully what he could be in terms of the the dynamic runner that he could be. But, I mean, to me, he's more of a Kelly Bryant. Or coming out of high school, I I, I kind of compared him a little bit to EJ Manuel. I thought he was he was that that kind of player, but more raw, but but some good potential overall. I thought he was kind of a poor man's EJ Manuel, a little closer maybe to Kelly Bryant. So with him in the game, you have to be more concerned with the legs and with the ability to uh, to get the edge and do some of the stuff that they like to do with the quarterback run game. Given that, I expect to kind of I'm kind of expecting to see a good bit of him in this game basically for them to use him in kind of the Jordan Travis way to generate a, a rushing offense where they're kind of, they're you know maybe less concerned about being able to establish the pass and look we've just got to have something we do well and this guy can run it a little bit so there you go but again how healthy really is he at this stage and how how dynamic is he going to be able to be that's the question but i wouldn't be surprised to see a decent amount of him there to me, the, the, this side of the ball, talking about Clemson's offense versus Florida State's defense, Florida State has to win up front here. Clemson's offensive line has not been good. Honestly, I think the last few weeks, Clemson's, defensive, or Clemson's offensive line has actually under, has performed worse than Florida State's has. Florida State, given the starting lineups and given who's actually going to be playing in this game, Florida State might actually have the better offensive line in this game, which is, again... In given given recent years, that's a not something you expect to say. But Florida State basically has to beat up the Clemson offensive line and keep Clemson in passing downs, stop the run on first down, stop the quarterback running game to basically win this game. You're you're not going to beat Clemson without doing that. Florida State's defensive line has to win up front. They have to beat up the the Clemson offensive line in the same way that they've been beaten up by some of the teams that have given them trouble defensively all year. Now, to stop the quarterback run game, once you get into any sort of you know, second and seven or longer, you know, any sort of passing type situation, I think you've got to use a lot of twists and stunts in this game to limit that quarterback run game. I know when I was at a Clemson clinic a couple of years ago, they actually discussed how Florida State had given them trouble with stunts and all of that taking to take away their quarterback run game in the past. And I think that's something that Florida State needs to do again this year. That's one of those things where, and the reason for that is when, when, you, when you're using, say, a quarterback draw or some of the more quarterback-centered uh, run plays like teams do in those passing situations, it's, it, it gets more difficult if there's traffic there, if you're not sure who has what gap and all of that. And there's just a lot more sort of trash for the quarterback to to sift through as a runner and it allows the defense to 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 get up there and uh and basically get into get into good angles to make those tackles. So that's where Florida State that's some of the stuff that Florida State's going to need to do in this game. Now, again, I think there are some concerns for Florida State defensively coming into this game. I mean, when you look at what Clemson can do and some of the talent on the field, you say, you know, this is not this is by no means a guarantee that 
Florida State can uh, can win this or is going to win this game or is going to win this matchup between the, the Clemson offense and the Florida State defense. Because, again, there's been a lot of big plays that Clemson has just left on the field. All you have to do is go back to the pit game, for example. That game, really, one you could argue the turning point in that game was Will Shipley dropping a sure long touchdown pass, you, you know, wh- running wide open down the middle of the field. Uyunglele puts it right on his right on his shoulder pads, and it bounces right off his chest. So instead of, I think it would have tied the game. Instead of being in that position where they tie the game on a long big play, they go three and out. Pitt gets the ball back, scores, and the game is completely different. If they make that catch against Florida State, and all of a sudden they get those big plays, that changes the game. You know, Ross had a, a key drop that. Uh, against NC State that might have won the game for Clemson. Would have probably also been a touchdown. That was a fourth down situation. This is the problem they've been having. I also am a little bit twitchy if I'm Florida State's uh, coaching staff. I I might actually want to play Kobe Pace, their starting running back, over (laughs) the backup, Will Shipley, because of Shipley's better overall big play ability. He's he's got big play potential at running back, both as a runner and as a receiver, and that's something that I'm worried about if I'm the Florida State defensive staff about Shipley getting one on one with my backers who can't run with him. So that's something you're going to have to hide, and that's one of the biggest concerns coming into this game for Florida State is can you find a way to make sure that you cover Will Shipley out of the backfield at running back? Can you avoid the big plays from that position given Florida State's weakness there? Similar with Davis Allen at tight end. Florida State's going to have to limit what he does as a big tight end target. Can they make sure that they limit the damage as Clemson picks on the linebacker unit there? But ultimately, this game, I mean, can Florida State force Clemson to drive the field without those big plays? Can they keep, can they avoid, can they keep Clemson bottled up to where they're not getting the big plays they're used to getting and force them to drive the field? At that point, it just is stop the run, pressure the quarterback, and prevent big plays. That's what this comes down to for, for Florida State. It's same fundamentals pretty much every week. But because of Clemson's difficulties in the in the passing game, I think it's that all the more. Stop the run on first down in particular. Leverage that into some pressure on the quarterback. And just make sure you don't give up any cheap plays. To me, success in this game is anything under five yards per play. And Florida State's going to have a good shot at winning this game. Even under, say, five and a half yards per play, Florida State's going to have a shot at winning this game. It's just going to be all about not giving up those big plays that that all of a, all of a sudden change that change the game, change the game quickly. So, again, I think Florida State's defense matches up in a lot of ways with what Clemson does to be able to limit what they've been able to do, the the few things they've been able to do so far this year just because I think Florida State's going to be able to control the line of scrimmage with their defensive line against that offensive line. So unless Clemson finds ways to generate some big plays in the passing game, I think this is going to be a game where Clemson's not going to score a ton of points, and that gives you a shot on the offensive side. So we're going to go ahead and flip over to the offensive side. The offensive side is going to be brought to you by Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, the best in the business out in Jacksonville. Tell them you heard about him from the Unconquered Podcast. and. Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com. Tell her you heard about her from uh, you heard about her from the Unconquered Podcast. 
So when we look at the other side here, the Florida State offense versus the Clemson defense, the Clemson defense has been about as good as the offense has been bad. Given up 4.68 yards per play, which is 12th in the FB, 12th in the country versus FBS. And again, in contrast to Florida State, Florida State's given up five and a half yards per play, which is good for 55th against FBS competition. So you can kind of see the comparison there. And so they're giving up basically a yard less per play than Florida State has been on the season. So that's that's pretty good. But here's the thing that that if you dig into this just a little bit more, and I was interested in this because I've watched their defense and the difference since. There's a pretty significant difference between what they looked like before Brzee got injured against NC State and afterwards. So they gave up 4.2 yards per play against, against Georgia, 4.14 against Georgia Tech, 4.02 against NC State. And NC State, Brzee was injured in that game. The next game, they gave up 4.82 yards per play against BC, then 5.31 at Syracuse, and then 5.66 at Pitt. So before Brzee was injured, they gave up 4.05 yards per play against FBS competition, which would be good at, good for fifth in the country. After Brzee was injured, they've given up 5.28 yards per play. So that's 1.2 yards per play more after Brzee got hurt. That's good for 41st nationally. So basically with Brzee, they were elite, elite, like top five in the country elite. After Brzee's been hurt, they've been 5.28 yards per play is only, you know, two yard, 0.2 yards per, per play better than Florida State. They've been pretty comparable to Florida State's defensive output since Brzee's injury. Now, most of that damage, actually, most of the difference, at least to my eye, is in the run game. Brzee changes them in terms of what they're able to do up front in the run game, though also he he changed things with his with his pass rush presence. But run defense-wise, they gave up 3.03 yards per play before Brzee was hurt. Since then, they've given up another half yard per play per carry in the running game. They've gone from 10th to 28th in run defense. So th- this is a really good Clemson defense still. Don't get me wrong. But it's not quite the elite defense that it was when they had the former number one overall recruit in the country starting at defensive tackle. They still have an excellent pass rush, though. So if you get behind the sticks, if you get off leverage, look out. Xavier Thomas, Miles Murphy, KJ Henry, Justin Maskell are all good pass rushers off the edge. And Florida State's tackles are going to have their hands full against those guys. They're going to probably have to find ways to chip Xavier Thomas, do all sorts of things against him because Xavier Thomas has been a beast all season. Thomas has led the ACC in pressure rate. Yes, ahead of Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. His pressures have led to two turnovers alone, just on his own. And as of a week ago, so I haven't seen this since the pit game, but before the pit game, going into the pit game, Clemson had a 37% pressure rate on opposing quarterbacks when Thomas was on the field and 25% when not. That shows you how much Florida State's going to need to focus their attention on him. They're going to need to find ways 
to make sure that Clemson's ends are handled in passing situations. And the, the main thing that they're going to be going to have to do to avoid the problems from Clemson's ends in passing situations is don't get in passing situations. But like I said, the defensive tackles are not quite what they've been without Brzee on the field. And like I said, I think there's a path to be able to run the football against this defense. And I know that, again, Clemson has been really good against the run, and they're still really good against the run. I mean, 3.49 yards per, per rush is still 28th in the country. Still good for 28th in the country. But it's not like elite elite where you, you, you just look at it and you're like, yeah, we're just not going to be able to run on these guys. There's a path to be able to run the football on this defense. You have to be able to do it. And that's where Florida State's path to success is on the on the offensive side. They've got to be, they've got to use every little tool they can to run the football and find ways to to steal some yardage against this Clemson front. Now, in thinking about this, I'm reminded of something I I talked about back when Norvell was hired. In that I I during the process of Florida State thinking about their uh, about the coaching search, I actually talked to someone who had coached against Norvell before he got to Florida State and asked him what he thought. And he said, well, you know, he's very, very creative at running the football. To beat Clemson, I think you have to be a team that can shorten the game and find creative ways to run it. He's a good fit for that. Well, this is that opportunity to find creative ways to run the football against what Clemson does and against Venable's tendencies here. And I think one thing to note, Venable's defenses have always had a little more trouble against power and counter and giving up some big plays against power and counter than other concepts. Those are concepts where you're usually pulling two guys from one side of the, of the formation. You're blocking down from the front side and you're pulling two guys from across to kick out and then lead through the hole. Or potentially, a lot of times what will happen is Venable's defenses will try to spill that and then you can get the edge against them. And with some of their linebackers this year, I think you can actually potentially run away from them a little bit and get some plays there on if you can get your guy to the edge. And like I said, Venable's defenses have always had a little more vulnerability against those concepts than, than they have some other things. And Florida State's been really good in those concepts this year. And in particular, I want to see what FSU brings to the table. I know they've got a whole bunch of different wrinkles here in terms of incorporating the the quarterback run game with some of those concepts to give that Clemson front all the more problems in in fitting those those gaps. And if Florida State can just hit a few plays against that Clemson front, that can change this game. And beyond that, they've just got to be able to have some success on first and second down running the football to be able to stay ahead of the chains so that they can throw when they want to throw. And if they're able to do that at all, they're going to have to, they're going to have a shot to win this game. And one other thing that, that is worth noting is their secondary has not been a phenomenal tackling secondary this year. They've given up some plays because of some missed tackles or, or missed run fits from the secondary. And if Florida state can force their safeties to fit in the run game, the way that they want to, and, and you can do that with formation and some other things. And get your backs one-on-one with a couple of those guys who've had some trouble tackling at that second level. You might be able to hit a play. So to me, that's a really important component here. The other piece that they're going to have to do to pair with that 
is this is very similar to what they what they had to do against UNC, which actually I think UNC is comparable defensively in some ways to what they're going to be playing against this week from uh, from Clemson, just with a few additional there are a few additional personnel weaknesses that Carolina had that Florida State was able to target. But if you look at what Norvell was able to do against against UNC, they were able to run it well enough. And they got a couple big plays, you know, Travis with the long run. They got a couple big plays from the backs. But the bigger thing really for me that really changed that game was the ability to use a couple shot plays in good situations where you have leverage, where Travis was able to hit those shots. And I'm especially thinking of that deep post right before the half that to me changed that game. Florida State's going to need to call a few of those play, and they're going to need to have a few that they just really feel like this is going to be the matchup we're going to get. We might be able to get our guy to run away here, and if Travis can hit this, then we can score. What's going to have to happen is they're going to have to hit a couple of those schemed shot plays in this game to win this game. You hit one or two of those schemes. I'd say two of those schemed shot plays, like what you got against UNC, and I think they really, I mean, they really hit two of those against UNC. But if you even hit one of those and get kind of a cheap touchdown, you, you're in position to potentially win this game. Because I think this is going to be a low enough scoring game that one cheap touchdown, one turnover, one thing that goes wrong is going to swing this game. So for me, the, the, the core for Florida State here, don't turn it over. Use a lot of creativity in the run game to avoid being in bad leverage situations so that you can avoid a lot of pressure on your quarterback. And then you've got to hit on your shots. You've got to make your schemed up special shot plays count in this game. You do that, you win this game. And I think you have to avoid, because of the defensive end versus tackle matchup here, you have to really avoid doing too much in the, in the, in the regular passing game. One other thing that I would do is I would, I, I, if I were Norvell and his staff, I would go back and look at the Gus Malzahn versus, uh, versus Venables plays from back or uh, games from from back a few years ago because they were running some similar stuff. And again, the Nick Marshall era uh, Auburn teams are are very similar in terms of what they're running to what Florida State's doing with Jordan Travis right now. So I'd like to look at how Venables responds to some of that and there were a couple shots that they were able to get and i think again you can get a the the right slot receiver against a safety and you can do something very similar to what they got on that deep post to score against against unc i think they can get the same kind of matchup and maybe maybe steal a touchdown here or there against clemson that's what you're going to have to do to me offensively success starts with zero turnovers two successes on shot plays and just get over five yards per play. And that's success in this game. You don't have to score a ton of points in this game. Most likely to win. I think the first team to 24 wins this game. I don't think either offense is going to be running up and down the field in this game. So don't turn it over. Make sure that you're playing good, solid, football on the offensive side so that you don't give them short fields or free you know free points force them to execute and then try to steal a couple with some big plays on your own that's what you're doing now this is a game where special teams also is going to be a really important thing and on the special front 
Garage Makeovers is pretty special. They're the best garage remodeling company in South Florida. Information on them is in the show notes. If you need any garage uh, garage work or anything in your garage, whether that's polyaspartic flooring, whether whether that's shelving, whether that's slot wall, any of that stuff, give the biscuit a call. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. On the special team side, I think that's another place where this game is going to be really critical. Is somebody going to drop a punt? Is somebody going to have a, a big return? Are what's the what's where's the hidden yardage going to go in this game? Clemson averages forty-one yards a punt. Florida State forty-four. That's a three-yard difference. If you have enough punts, it starts to matter a little bit. But who's going to have the better punting day? I think that matters in this game. Clemson's seven of eight on field goals on the season. Florida State six of eight, and probably feel a little better about Clemson's kicker. So I mean that that's a factor. But to me, the like I said, the first team over 24 probably wins this game. So overall, wrapping this up, when I whenever I handicap games, whenever I go through and I and I evaluate who I think is going to win the game, I, I have a, a specific process. Effectively, I mean, one thing is you know I, I look at some power you know power ratings. I've got some in house stuff that I use, but beyond that, when I'm just looking at matchups, I want to know who wins up front. First and foremost, test number one, who wins up front? Because if there's a big disparity in the line of scrimmage, that's going to win the game most, most of the time. The answer in this game to me is both defensive lines are going to win up front. <laughs> Neither offensive line is going to have a great day. But I think Florida State has the better chance to run the ball with any effectiveness in this game. I think their offensive line blocks better for the running game than Clemson's does. And I think they've shown all season that they're that they're a more potent rushing offense overall with the backs that they have and especially with Jordan Travis as the additional plus one in the running game I think Florida State has a chance to run the ball just a little bit better so I think both defensive lines ultimately win win the 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 game in terms of win their matchup but I think it's closer to even for Florida State here so that's that I would just barely tick tick the box for Florida State just slightly. The next question is, which quarterback would I want coming into this game for either of these teams? Where do I think, which team do I think has an advantage at quarterback in this game? Coming into the season, you would have obviously said DJ Uyunglele. I don't think that's a question. No question. I had some doubts about his fit within their offense, but you still say like, look, <laughs> that guy, you know, there's a reason that he's going to leave Clemson as a millionaire just due to uh, endorsements, he signed national endorsements this, this off season. So yeah. Okay. That's what you'd have expected coming in. And then they play the games. And to be totally honest, if I were choosing, if, if, if we were just having guys stand on the sideline and we were choosing, choosing players based on how they played, in in this season, in just recent weeks, if you had to choose a quarterback, I think you're choosing Jordan Travis in this game. And maybe Tyson Fomachan, maybe he changes that calculus a little bit if he plays. Maybe Uyunglele suddenly, you know, something clicks and he, he just completely looks like a different player. But I, I think, actually, I'm looking at this and going with what Florida State is asking Travis to do and with some of the dynamism that he brings to their running game and and... He continues to hit deep shots down the field when they do call shot plays. 
I think I might go with Jordan Travis. So that ultimately leads me to an interesting conclusion in terms of handicapping this game, in terms of picking the probable winner here. And I feel crazy for doing this. I really do. And I'm not comfortable with this. But I'm going to pick Florida State to win this game. I think it's basically a coin flip game. And when it comes down to it, honestly, I like what Jordan Travis brings to the table as a, as a, as a total player with his legs and some of the things that he brings to the table and, and how that matches up against Clemson's really good defense versus what sort of Clemson's been sort of in that two pistons of the engine or not firing correctly or, you know, everything's out of sync. I just, I'm going to pick Florida State to win this game. I'm going to go Florida State 23 to 20. And I'm going to put this game at about a 51% chance of a Florida State win. I am not confident that Florida State wins this game at all. I think it's basically a coin flip. But all things being equal, Florida State has been improving rapidly. And with the way that Travis has been playing, if he's, if he's going to continue to play like this and not turn the ball over and, and hit his deep shots when he gets his opportunities and take advantage of, of yardage when it's there with his legs, I think Florida State wins the game. It's going to be a really interesting one on Saturday. And I'll say this, if Florida State does manage to beat Clemson this year, that's, that's going to be a big feather in Mike Norvell's cap, and that's going to be something that they can take on the recruiting trail moving forward in terms of momentum and where things are going in the ACC, and that's going to help an awful lot. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.